Sports Station. Ladies and gentlemen of Lafayette. The Hammered Down Show with Jared Jesolitis is Lafayette's number one sports show. Yes, I'm excited! He totally went to Jared. The voice of Lafayette Sports. The cream of the crop! Nobody does it better. Send us your thoughts on the text line at 765-447-4080. Now go to that voodoo that you do so Got Sam King. He's in, he's out, he's in, he's out. He's traveling, he's on the road to Blacksburg, covering the boilers. I think they finally got him back on track. So, yeah, we're going to hopefully have him on about 3.30. Uh, we'll have Sam, we'll talk some Purdue with him. We'll talk some uh, high school with him as well. We're also going to talk about opening weekend for your Bears and your Colts. We got lots to get to. Lots to get to. So while we go get started, uh, like we always do, let's get started with Need to Know News. Here's your Need to Know News. All right, Purdue Soccer got out to a one nothing lead over 25th ranked TCU, but unable to hold on to that lead in the second half. They gave up two goals, two to one the final. Lauren Omholtz with a lone goal for the Boilers. They're back home hosting Western Kentucky on Sunday. Admissions free at Folk Field. Farmer's Market on Sunday before the match. And uh, dogs are welcome on Sundays at Folk Field. And it seems like it's going to be a pretty darn nice day. Like sunny, 70, upper 70s. Yeah, 1 p.m. on the pitch at Folk uh, between your boilers and the hilltoppers. Cubs lose game one to the Diamondbacks last night, 6-2. Javier Assad, no strikeouts. That doesn't help things. He wasn't too bad, five and a third, seven hits, three runs allowed, though. Bellinger and Suzuki both extended their hit streaks. Nico Horner went two for four. We got game two going on as we speak. Jameson Tyen, look at this. Three innings, no hits, one walk, five Ks on 42 pitches. It's been a good start for him. Zach Gallen has uh, matched him, though. Three innings, no hits, and five strikeouts as well. So we got dueling no-hitters as we head into the top of the fourth inning. I forgot to check here. Um, last night's results fully. It did come to an end. Okay. So, Seiya Suzuki's double streak, which he had extended to four games, has come to an end. But his multi-base hit streak (laughs) remains at five after he got a triple last night. So, with that in mind, here's, here's how we're looking right now, if you're a Cubs fan. Brewers did not play last night, so the gap is now two games... Brewers are in the Bronx tonight to take on the Yankees. 
Dodgers destroyed the Marlins last night. That helps out a little bit. No Philly. Marlins will take on Philly for a three-game set this weekend. So the wild card race, as of this moment, Cubs in that second spot. Three clear of Miami. Three and a half clear of Arizona and Cincinnati. And then they're behind Philadelphia by two games. White Sox are going to play baseball tonight. They're in Detroit. Mike Clevenger takes the mound against Reese Olsen. Clevenger this season versus Detroit. Nine innings, 15 hits, eight earned runs, and eight strikeouts. He got lit up in his last start, which was last week against Detroit, where he gave up the eight runs on 12 hits. So we'll see if he can redeem himself. We'll find out tonight. High school football is back on the agenda this evening. West Lafayette will travel to LaRocca Field and take on Central Catholic at 7 p.m. Jeff takes a long ride out to Richmond, and then it's the sword game at McCutcheon when the Mavericks take on Harrison. You're going to hear that right here on 1017, the hammer of the start time uh, pregame at 6.30. Kickoff is at 7. You can hear that on the air right here. You can hear that online at 1017thehammer.com or just download our 1017thehammer mobile app. Big Ten football tonight. Speaking of high schools, it's Indiana taking on Indiana State. That game on BTN. Illinois heads to Kansas at 7.30. That game will be played on ESPN2. Purdue Volleyball is sold out tonight as the Boilers take on SMU in the first leg of the Stacy Clark Classic. Women's Golf on a bus. They'll head up to East Lansing and start Sunday in the Mary Fossum, uh, Fossum invite. Sorry. And then, of course, football plays at Virginia Tech tomorrow at noon. We'll have full coverage for you starting at 10 a.m. with Boiler Game Day with myself and Kyle Charters. All right. That's needed no news. How'd we do last night? I was shocked, shocked at the amount of drop passes last night that Patrick Mahomes had to contend with. In retrospect, I don't know why I thought I liked that over last night. Oh, probably because the Lions were 12 and over, or 12 and 0 since 2011 on overs. And the Chiefs averaged 37 and a half points in season openers. But no, Travis Kelsey clearly hurt last night. The way that Tony kept on dropping things. I, look, we told you how bad the Chiefs were in covering three and a half or more. We told you how good Dan Campbell is covering three and a half to 17. We told you Jared Goff was undefeated in week one against the spread. What Panchenko end up with? Because I know we talked about him going to 51 and a half. I don't think he sniffed that, did he? But we also told you, used our friends with DraftKings, and they had the uh, get up sir, seven early. I mean, you cashed that Lions bet if you listen real quick. Yeah, Panchenko didn't come anywhere. 20, uh, sorry, 23 yards. Ugh. It's not great. Not a great night if you had a Kansas City receiver either. I don't, 
Just so many drops. I, I don't how. How? Nobody wanted to hold. I mean, and there's just like a litany of people catching passes. How many people caught passes last night technically for Kansas City? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. 12. And nobody outside of Pechenko caught more than three balls. Rasheed Rice and Noah Gray caught three balls, and then that is it. Rough night. So what are we targeting here? First, look, we'll talk Colts. We'll talk Bears. Maybe we'll save that. We'll talk that next segment. But let's let's look at a couple trends that I like for week one for you. I like the Texans plus 10 against the Ravens. Listen to this trend. Week one underdogs of eight or more. 25 and nine against the spread. That's almost 75% of the time since 2003. Now teams that have missed the postseason and open as a week one road dog. 51, 29, and 2 against the spread. That's 64%. That's since 2011. Texas plus 10 at the Ravens. I couldn't believe that. We won underdogs of 8 or more. 25 and 9 against the spread. I'm jumping on Cincinnati here. Joe Burrow got paid yesterday. He's feeling good. They're taking on the Browns, who I have zero respect for in anything ever. Maybe a little bit bias on that. But I still think you got some. I think you got something here. That line is two right now in Cleveland. Trevor Lawrence. I'm sorry, not sure. Uh, Joe Burrow, sorry. 32 and 17 against the spread in his career. He is the seventh most profitable quarterback over the last 20 years. Behind Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, Teddy Bridgewater, Alex Smith. Burrow is 19 and 8 against the spread on the road, including 16 and 5 in the last two seasons. I like those trends. Burrow's getting the money. T. Higgins not getting the money. I think there's a sense of urgency for them to come out here and play well. And that's a tough division. Tough, tough division. You need everything you can to get in. I like Joe Burrow. I like the Bengals. Two-point road dog. So those are the two that jumped out at me. I thought... Pretty darn good trends. We rode trends yesterday. And we made it somewhat profitable, didn't we? So let's go ahead and do it again this weekend. We're going to take a break. When we come back, the latest on your Bears, the latest on your Colts. What are some of the trends? I mean, the Colts have got all kinds of conflicting trends coming into this game. I don't know if you can trust the trends, though, in the Bears game. We'll talk about it. That's next. It's the Hammer Down Show, 1017 The Hammer. 
right, welcome back. It's the Hammer Down Show on 1017 The Hammer, 1017TheHammer.com as we head into uh, your week one NFL. The main body of it is on Sunday. Your Colts and Bears both doing battle here. Uh, the Colts live on 935KHY this season. So uh, make sure you check them out here. Uh, by the way, you guys are already texting into the Hammerhead Hotline at 765, the Blue Fox Heating Cooling Hammerhead Hotline at 765-447-4080. Uh, already got one right here. You're excited about betting on this thing already. Jared, I like Richardson. I like Fields. Both over rushing yards. Let's start with the Colts. Richardson at 46 and a half. It's what I got on DraftKings. It's what I'm using. It could be lower someplace else. I mean, look, the thought there is that it's a young guy who is probably looking to scramble sooner rather than later, right? To try to make plays with his feet. That's what the young guys do. They, they maybe get two reads and then they're going to go for it. I don't. Look, I don't hate it. Early on in the season, though, always makes me... That always scares me a little bit because you you don't know what he's going to do. You don't know if he's going to try to stay in the pocket as much as possible to prove that he can, you know, throw the football. I mean, if you're the Jaguars, you want to make him throw the football as much as possible. I mean, I, I I feel like that's what I would want to do. I'd want to take away that safety net of his, of wanting to run, and just see if I can't get my rush home. I mean, if that's the case, I don't know how much I like his. Fields might be a different option. Look, you're talking about the Jaguars, Colts are going to come into this thing pretty darn healthy. And four and a half point home dogs. I like home dogs usually. That gets my interest going. But there's a lot of conflicting trends when I look at this game. First off, you know the Colts' home opener streak is it's terrible. It's god-awful. They haven't done it. They haven't won at home since like the Nixon administration or something. It's it's a crazy number. They're one of the least profitable teams against the spread in the NFL since 2008. The Colts are two twelve and one straight up in Week One. One thirteen and one against the spread in Week One. Over the last 20 years, the Colts, 5-13-2 against the spread in their season opener. Dead last. Colts are also 14-24-2 against the spread versus the Jaguars over the last two, 20 years. Which makes them the least profitable opponent in that span. They're just 2-13-1 against the spread against the Jags in 2015. pretty bad. But then I look on the other side. And things working against the Jaguars in this one. For example, we know that the home team in this uh in this series has won like what? The last 
What did we say? It was like 12 or 14 something. That's, that's pretty good. But Trevor Lawrence is, is four and 14 straight up and seven for 11 against the spread on the road in his career. They did win the last four games against the spread last season on the road. Two of them were at Houston, though. Does that really count? Lawrence is 15 and 21 in his career, 10 and 9 against the spread with Doug Peterson, though. He's over two straight up and one for one against the spread in Indianapolis. He's lost by six and he's lost by seven points here. So Lawrence has not been good traditionally on the road. The home team has had the upper hand in this series for quite some time. This is tough. You got a lot of conflicting numbers here. A lot of those. That's what Vegas thinks, and I always appreciate what Vegas thinks in this. You know, the question is, how much can Anthony Richardson handle in the offense? And can they keep him from running uh, all over the field? That's the two big questions that you got to ask yourself. I think they can do okay with that. I think shutting him down completely is probably too high of an expectation. He's just too good of an athlete. But whether or not he can be too good of an athlete to, um, you know, to, to, to make enough a difference against the Jaguars, I just, I don't think so. I think Trevor Lawrence is a little underrated. I think that team is I think that team is primed to have a much better season. I think it's an extremely weak AFC South. That is 100% up for grabs. 100%. So yeah, look, I think you could take I think you could take a flyer on it. On those yards, if you want to, bud, but the the payout's like minus one thirty on it. I think there's better spots. I just something in my gut just feels like the Colts find a way to win this, or at least cover. I think having you know Shaq Leonard back too definitely helps you as an Indianapolis better and as an Indianapolis fan. But I'm struggling with what do I need to see from Indianapolis? What's my what's my floor here? What do I need to see for them to actually be able to beat the Jacksonville Jaguars? But I'm willing to go with every I'm willing to take the mystery box that is the Indianapolis Colts against the Jaguars this week. On the other side, you know, Bears fans are well aware of their record uh, versus the Green Bay Packers with Aaron Rodgers. 
So as I look at those trends that you have going into this one with how you've been against Green Bay, I almost have to throw a lot of that out of the window, right? Because he's not there anymore. He can't hurt you anymore. Matt LaFleur still is there. 13-4 and against the spread as an underdog. 42 and 29 against the spread in his overall in the whole career. Now Justin Fields just 8 and 17 against the spread. I expect better things out of him. Look great in the preseason. Just a good fresh start for the Bears here that do not have to deal with an Aaron Rodgers led Packers team that has just been straight torture. This is the first time Chicago's been favored to beat them since 2019. I'm a believer in Justin Fields. I know they've been terrible against their own division, but again, I have to throw out some of that stuff because it's it's one guy that's tortured them. For how long? Chicago's the least profitable team versus his own division in the NFL over the last, what, since the last five years? That's not good numbers. I like the Bears this weekend, though. Why not? I don't believe in Jordan Love. Do you believe in Jordan Love? Oh, sure, NFL Network, all these people, they, they want to they wanna throw that down your, cram that down your throat. But I'm talking only having to cover one and a half at home against the Packers, New quarterback. I mean, I just feel like as good as as good as Fields look, and you can get Fields at a plus one forty anytime touchdown score. Boy, that's a steal. I feel like that's the bargain of the weekend right there. Justin Fields, anytime touchdown score for that late Sunday night game, plus 140. I mean, how many times did he run? How many times did he run one in last season? I wish I had that number in front of me, but gosh, I'm sure it was a decent amount that he scored last year with his feet. I like that. You know, it's got DJ Moore back. Uh, or DJ Moore uh, into the fold there. That's going to help. Chase Claypool has to be better. <laughs> Otherwise, he's going to be hard up for work. I'm a believer in the Bears. Give me the Bears. Give me the Colts. Lord help me. Put it on the card. All right, when we come back, Sam King, he's next with us here from the Journal and Courier. Uh, on his way out to Blacksburg, we'll talk to him next. This is the Hammer Down Show on what. Welcome back. It is the Hammer Down Show on 1017 The Hammer, 1017thehammer.com. We're over to the Blue Fox Eating Cooling Hammerhead Hotline, and our good buddy Sam King of the Journal and Courier is on with us here as uh, he's landed somewhere on the East Coast. He's uh, taking a trip on up to uh, Blacksburg for the uh, Big Purdue and uh, Virginia Tech game. Uh, he'll join us on Boiler Game Day tomorrow as well. We just confirmed that. Uh, happy birthday, Sam. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, 41 today, so... I've so far celebrated on an airplane and then airports. So uh, 
you know, just the birthday that you dream of, I guess. Did you tell the uh, Did you tell the pilot that he let you up in the cockpit, and then they give you like the little wing sticker or something like that? Did you get at least get that? <laughs> I'm not seven years old anymore, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh come on, I, dude! When I get on, I still hit him with the airplane. Uh, good luck. We're all counting on you. Uh, I still hit him with that stuff. So. And they appreciate that. Well, I figured they would appreciate not having a seven-year-old up there, but a grown forty-one-year-old man. Maybe so. Maybe I'll try that on the way back uh, on Sunday morning. <laughs> uh, hey, before we get into some high school stuff here, look, big game for the Boilermakers. Last week was a little bit rough with the secondary. Uh, there were some bright spots uh, for that team. I, I did not uh, look. Everybody said Dylan Thieneman was going to be good, but holy smokes, uh, he exceeded my expectations in game one. But he was about the only one in that secondary, I think, that did exceed my expectations. Can we expect a renewed focus on uh, that secondary play, you think, uh, this Saturday? I think it would be uh, almost impossible to not play better, uh, given the number of guys just running wide open into the end zone and catching touchdowns. And then, you know, the heartbreaker of it all is you finally get a lead with four minutes to go, and you think, okay, the defense just has to make one stop, all those you know, defensive breakdowns before this don't matter. Just have to come through one time and, and can't get it done. And unfortunately, by the time Fresno State scored that game-winning touchdown, there wasn't enough time for the offense to really, uh, you know, probably march down the field the way that it wanted to. It was kind of more pressing at that point. All right. Uh, we'll, we'll get into all this and more tomorrow. Sam will be on the show again. Kyle and I on the air starting at 10 a.m. tomorrow. Uh, let's turn our attention to uh, some high school football. Um, let's start. Let's start here in town. It's Central Catholic. It's West Lafayette. It's a great Hoosier Conference matchup. It's one that Brian Nay has not found himself on the winning side of just yet. And uh, last week, another very poor offensive performance. I know it's another good opponent, but um, it, it just seems like without Mason Meister in the backfield here, they've moved some pieces around. Bryn Robbins is good, Sam, but. It just seems like with the mix and matching of the parts here, it just hasn't had that flair yet. It just, it, it, I don't know, there's something missing right now in the offense. Yeah, and it's hard when you, you know, think you have guys solidified in positions that are key players for you, and then, you know, you're having to shuffle guys around. I know Alex Hardebeck, who was going to be, you know, probably all-state receivers, you know, uh, come back from a torn ACL last year and he's still dealing with some nagging hip issues now so that's a, a playmaker that's you know not up to what you expect him to be and then when you lose Mason Meister then you're shuffling other guys around to, to different spots and hoping to to find a spark but uh you know it's hard to do that and also be playing you know top caliber competition I think uh you're playing what well, Hamilton Heights is probably receiving votes and the uh you know, Garen Catholic was ranked, West Lafayette is ranked, so you're not easing into this thing by any means. And at the same time, still trying to find yourself a little bit with uh, with some injuries. And it's not going to get any easier, too. I mean, after this, you know, there's Tipton next week. If uh, you can't stop the run, you're in trouble there. Um, and then, you know, you still have Twin Lakes coming up in a couple of weeks. And uh, I think they made a coaching change in the off season. Some guy I've never heard of, Kevin something or other. I don't know, maybe you remember that. Yeah. But... Uh, <laughs> I mean, there will be a storyline there when that game happens, for sure. Yeah, storyline. You can't wait to write that article. I already know you. You're, you've got that thing three-fourths written already. But uh, like I said, it's not going to get any easier for Central Catholic. And then, 
you know, you get a West Lafayette team that seemingly found its stride on offense last week uh, against Tipton, 39 to nothing. Um, you know, Carson Kitchell throws for four touchdowns, 400 yards. Uh, he was uh, darn impressive there. That seems to be like that's the West Lafayette offense that you're used to seeing, Sam. Is uh, it's fluid, it's up tempo, it does what it wants, and uh, for it seems like the first time here in a while, they were finally able to do that. Yeah, and uh, usually I go out to practice on Wednesdays at West Lafayette, and Carson Kitchell is, is warming up and throwing passes to whoever's out there, and we just kind of chit-chat a little bit. And I think last week one of the comments he, he made, which I, I thought was funny until I looked it up and it was actually true, was I think I have more punting yards than passing yards this season. Uh, don't have to say that anymore. So it's nice to get that good one, but uh, you know, Benny Speaker had a couple of big touchdowns last week. Liam Burton, who's the guy they really needed to get going, uh, had a couple of long touchdowns, uh, and then you couple that with, uh, you know, what Dawson Martin can do, and now you're implementing freshman Kojo Steffi into that too, and you kind of got a one-two punch at the running back position. Uh, I think you're starting to see, you know, a young team that had uh, playmaking ability, uh, as you said, kind of find itself to where it's like, you know, this thing's going to be rolling. It, you know, it, it's not supposed to be a perfect thing uh, one month of the season by any means, but week nine, week ten. Uh, you want to have it perfected. You know I'm going to get ready to, like, probably the halfway point, I'm starting the campaign for Carson Kitchell uh, for the uh, Journal and Courier uh, punter, the the the, uh, the all-area team. I'm, uh, I'm starting it. We'll, we'll print up the hats, the T-shirts, and everything. The campaign starts in a couple weeks, buddy. Be prepared. <laughs> I look forward to it. I'll let him know that. You actually, look, we had uh, Shane Fry on the program yesterday, and uh, I brought this name up, and then, uh, shockingly, I see it in the Journal and Courier this week here, too, is uh, Porter Mitrione. I mean, 17 tackles last week as a defensive lineman. I, I know folks locally probably recognize that last name, but, boy, uh, he is making his own name for himself, that's for sure. I mean, he's been great the last couple times we've seen him, but... Dude, 17 tackles. How? How is that even possible? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the one knock on uh, Porter Mitrione is he has a tendency to, to get some uh, personal fouls and things of that nature that can hurt your team. But uh, he plays with a lot of emotion. And I think that, you know, sometimes maybe that goes above and beyond what the officials think is, uh, you know, within reason. So uh, there have been some flags. I think we saw one in the McCutcheon game uh, a few weeks ago uh, after McCutcheon scored a touchdown. But, yeah, he, he's a player. He got into the lineup late last year. He had a, you know, at least one stellar game that I can recall uh, that I was at last year. And now he looks, you know, to me he looks taller. He looks bigger, stronger. Uh, he's a lot faster from, from track season last year. And uh, I think that he kind of showed his explosiveness there. Uh, first in that McCutcheon game, I think he had three or four tackles for loss. And then last week he had, what, four again and, and 17 tackles, like you said. So, he is definitely an impact maker, and uh, I think that you know when you have a guy like that, it makes everybody else's jobs easier. You know the David Curls and Ian Solkowski's and you know the DBs on the back end um, because you kind of know you have that guy that's going to put pressure on the quarterback consistently, and then everybody else does their job, and and it makes it a, a thirty-nine to nothing outcome. All right, uh, next game, Jeff is going to uh, take the long trip out to uh, the border there to go to Richmond. Um, you know, I don't know that we need to spend a lot of time on this one, Sam, so just answer me this. Uh, who will do a better job at slowing down the Broncos tonight? The Broncos, uh, the Richmond Red Devils, or the Traffic Cones on 465? Who slows down Jeff the most tonight? 
well, uh, that's a long bus ride. So I'm going to say typically teams that go on that trip take a stop halfway somewhere and get out and stretch their legs and whatnot. I don't know if Jeff is doing that or not, but I'm guessing that the trip will be the longest part of this because it should be a running clock. Although the Broncos, you know, up 29 to nothing last week in the first quarter, and you thought, here's a chance to put this team away, and they just seemingly let that team not not necessarily compete against them, but hang around to where it was like, you know, kind of get that touchdown to get this running clock going, and, and then you make mistakes. and uh, Those are things you can't do when you play good teams. But uh, unfortunately, Tech was not a good team. Richmond is not a good team. So this is where you hopefully uh, just get some confidence, get going a little bit, um, and build off of the mistakes that you had last week. Of course, the big one tonight that you hear on 101.7 The Hammer, it is uh, the battle for the sword. We're at Ellison Stadium where the Mavericks uh, are hosting the Raiders. The Raiders have been pretty darn successful in this uh, rivalry game for quite some time here. We've seen McCutcheon a couple times out here. We feel like they're improved, especially on defense. But, you know, I I think this Raider offense somehow was still a little bit underrated. They just have so many weapons out of the backfield. With that massive offensive line, they could really lean on you. So, you know, McCutcheon's got to attack with the speed. So my question, Sam, is does McCutcheon have enough speed to somewhat keep this Harrison offense in check or at least close enough to give their offense a chance to win it for him? Well, I think that, uh, yes, athletic-wise, they match up pretty well. It's, you know, Harrison's line is going to be the, you know, every team that plays Harrison is going to tell you we haven't seen this kind of a size uh, on the offensive line, and that's because there isn't lines that are 315, 340, you know, whatever it is, all the way across the board, um, all 300-plus pounders. So uh, that is the interesting dynamic. I think McCutcheon is helped by there should be a couple of uh, guys back on that defense who have not played a game yet this season who were starters last year, and, and that should be a big boost um, if those guys do play. So that helps a little bit and, and kind of uh, fills some areas that have been weak spots on a defense that, you know, like you said, has been really good. Uh, here the first few games of the season. So that's going to be kind of interesting. Can they stop Harrison? You know, Chris Ferguson is going to be the fastest kid on the field, the the Harrison running back. Um, Carter Canoy is sneaky good, um, both receiving, running, and then they've got a lot of other playmakers like Blake Soldati and even Ethan Pop, who doesn't get a lot of yards and touchdowns, but, man, he's an all-state wrestler and a big, tough, physical kid that, um, you know, he's capable of going off at any time. So, you're going to have to match them athlete for athlete, but also account for that size on the offensive line and, and how can you limit those runs where they try to go up the middle. And I know Harrison doesn't have the, the super big flashy names on defense like they have in the past, but that's still a very good de- – I, I think they're very solid, um, especially in that uh, front seven there. Uh, you really need Owen Smith to kind of go off here, right? He's got these big targets – uh, guys like Mark Fell have been doing a great job. Riser was great uh, in that game against uh, Westside here, but they got to build some consistency, I think, in the passing game tonight, Sam. Yeah, and Owen Smith is a capable quarterback who, when you look at his stats for his career, you know, completion percentage isn't great. Uh, the passing yards probably aren't great for a, a kid of his caliber, but he has the capability to beat you with big-time plays, and we saw that against West Lafayette with him throwing some deep balls down the field that, uh, that hurt the Red Devils, so... Uh, you're going to have to get some of those plays against this defense, which hasn't given up many points this year, uh, to be honest. So what do they give up? Uh, 15 to Plainfield is the most they've given up in three games. So uh, I would expect, uh, you know, that kind of to be a low-scoring game going into tonight. But uh, 
I feel like McCutcheon is a, a program that just needs that, that win that you can like hang your hat on and say, hey, we're making moves in the right direction, and now we have this major win to show for it uh, to get everybody to kind of believe. And right now that's, that's what the Mavericks are missing because you can see the improvements if you watch this team week in and week out, but uh, at some point the wins have to show for it too. You would think that if McCutcheon wants to win, it's going to have to be a low-scoring kind of slugfest, right? If this turns into a shootout, this is, that's not the way McCutcheon wins this football game. No, and we saw that when Harrison played West Lafayette in Week 1. It was you know, kind of a defensive battle, uh, 14-0 type thing going into the fourth quarter, and then uh, Harrison's offense just kind of blew up. And you've got to avoid that. Uh, you know, Harrison is going to score points, but you can't let that snowball and turn into – uh, you know, uh, a blowout victory. Uh, I think, you know, this was a game for a little bit last year, and, and McCutcheon just made mistakes with turnovers and things like that. And even this year, the Mavericks have had some red zone woes and getting the ball in the end zone when they're, they're close. Uh, that can't happen tonight. If you, get, if you get down inside the five, you've got to punch it in the end zone. You can't settle for a field goal. You can't be uh, going forward on fourth and one and hoping to, you know, score the touchdown and then coming up short. Um, you've got to capitalize on every opportunity and McCutcheon probably does have to play pretty much flawless tonight to win this game, but uh, I still expect it to be very competitive. Sam King, Lafayette Journal and Courier again. He's uh, he is out there at uh, Virginia Tech for us this weekend, uh, covering the game for uh, the Journal and Courier and more. So make sure you follow him on Twitter, and then uh, he will uh, be joining us tomorrow on Boiler Game Day as well. And I'm sure he'll be tuning into the broadcast here, the Sword Game, which starts at six thirty, kickoff at seven o'clock here on one hundred one seven The Hammer. Sam. Again, buddy, uh, happy birthday to you, and uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow on Boiler Game Day, bud. It's a, a you know a birthday wish to be listening to, uh, to you and Mr. <laughs> Julik on the call tonight. So that's, that's how I'm going to find out what's going on. Uh, you're the best, buddy. All right, take care. Be safe, all right? All right, thanks. Thanks, Sam. All right, we're going to take our final break. We'll come back. Things we may have missed, and we wrap up the Hammer Down Show for the week on 1017 The Hammer. One. The Hammer Down Show on 1017 The Hammer, 1017TheHammer.com. About ready to wrap it up here for the week. It's going to be an exciting weekend here. Uh, starting tonight, Sword Game, 6.30. That's the pregame, 7 o'clock with the kickoff. We'll be at Ellison, myself and Jeff Julik, and we'll have all of that action. So football starts here tonight. Tomorrow, Boiler Game Day starts at 10 a.m., goes all the way up till kickoff. Myself, Kyle Charters, a plethora of special guests as well. We'll get you ready for Game 2. We'll break down what happened in Game 1. You don't want to miss out on that. After Boiler Game Day, we will have Notre Dame and NC State for you, followed by Oregon at Texas Tech. Do we have NFL Week 1 covered for you? Absolutely, we've got NFL Week 1 for you. Starting at 3 o'clock, Philadelphia, New England. We got Sunday Night Football, Dallas, and the Giants. And, of course, we got Monday Night Football with Buffalo and the Jets. Big old weekend of high school football starts tonight. Goes into college football on Saturday, NFL Sunday and Monday. We got you covered here on 1017 The Hammer. I was shocked at this, uh, things we may have missed. I thought this was a given for athletes. But they're making a big deal out of this, and I've seen this in the national media. It's not even my local Steeler guys. 
Minka Fitzpatrick put some stanchions around the, the logo on the carpet and the floor. Because uh, some of the younger guys were walking on it and getting it dirty. I thought that was a given. Everybody does that, right? It's huge in hockey. You absolutely do not walk on the logo in the locker room. Hockey. But I thought that extended to everybody else. Is that not a given anymore? Do the kids not know that's a rule? It's just, it's that little thing. It's that little bit of respect for the team. It's those little details. I didn't think it was like an old head thing. I I thought that everybody knew that, accepted that. It's not a superstitious thing. It's like a respect for the logo. But maybe not. If you've got to wall that thing off, maybe not. But I thought that was taught. I thought that was taught at a young age. I was always taught that at a young age. I guess not. You got to teach the kids. That's going to do it for us. Don't forget, 6.30. We got the start here for you on Football Friday night. It's the Battle for the Sword, Harrison and McCutcheon. I'll see you back here then. Enjoy your weekend. Thanks for listening.